0: Husky Nation, it's the end of the third quarter. Are you looking for the perfect tequila for your next get-together? The answer is born from a hero, Hero de Leon, direct from the prestigious Mergilla family just outside Guadalajara, honoring their great-grandfather who saved Mexico from a horrible civil war. It's authentic, courageous, with great integrity, just like the general. Enjoy the smoothest Blanco tequila you've ever tasted, or the rich flavor of our Reposado, aged for seven months in American bourbon barrels, or the ultimate tequila, our Añejo, which is aged for 18 months in the same bourbon oak barrels. Go to your favorite liquor retailer or restaurant and ask for Hero de Leon, because it's always the end of the third quarter. Imported by Zombie Beverages, Mercer Island, Washington. Hey Husky fans, welcome back to fourth and inches of Husky podcast. My name is Trevor Mueller with me is Jake Grant and coach V. Uh, I just got done watching the show that Jake forever swore off. And I understand why now Washington again sits at number five with changes to the top five, but not where it mattered. Most Uh, Georgia replaced Ohio state as the number one team in the nation while Washington continues to have one of the best strength of schedules and most quality wins in that group and continues to be denied that top four spot after another win against Utah, Washington now heads down to Corvallis where they will have an opportunity for yet another ranked win. And maybe this is the one that pushes them into the top four. God, I hope so. Jake, what's your take on the selection committee?
1: Yeah. Uh, even though I didn't watch it, I did a little bit of research. Um, Ooh and and read some of the things that were said and i am so freaking tired (laughs) of espn's bullshit it is the worst tv on the face of the planet when it comes to the cfp live show the guy i don't know his name the head committee guy uh gray-haired dude
0: boo is his first name right
1: boo something yeah Bradley. uh, Bradley. boo bradley (laughs) That's right. He, he talks about how uh the one of the reasons that Washington doesn't leapfrog Florida State is because the Miami Florida State game, it's tradition. it's always a tough game. Miami was on their second string quarterback. First of all, they're starting a true freshman and they're making an absolute game with Florida State. They get the ball back late. They have a chance to make a drive. Miami's quarterback absolutely breaks his arm in half. Uh, I don't know if you watched the game, Trev. Did you watch the Florida State-Miami game? I did not. The quarterback's arm, he was holding it like it was absolutely broken. Um, So then they come into their backup, and they're marching down the field on Florida State with a chance to, to win it. A backup quarterback then makes a bad throw and throws an interception to lose against Florida State. And that's what's holding Washington with a ranked win against Utah back. I can't stand listening to their reasoning. They justify their narrative every time. I, I just – I can't watch it anymore. I can't hear it. I can't even research it. It's You're pissing me off, Trev. You're really grinding my gears.
0: Okay, so I'm going to make a couple points for Coach. I want you to jump in on this. Dave Mahler says – Florida State has one win over a top 25 team. Washington has 3 including beating the number 6 team. There's no in uh, there's no coherent sensical argument for putting UW at 5. And of course he finished it, it was a, with beat Oregon State in softy style. Uh, another thing is there's even members of the Oregon media and even kind of some of the Twitter trolls that are starting to out loud question why Washington isn't in that number four spot coach.
2: I mean, me too. (laughs) The one thing that our our good friend, Boo Radley um, mentioned in the show tonight, and I did watch it for a few minutes was he did give us credit for our great second half of defense against Utah. I guess that was like a backhanded compliment. Very, um, you know, Utah was a good team that was ranked, and uh, Miami was an unranked team that was clean to life and were not very good. They have four? They have four losses. The the, the Georgia Tech debacle uh, from a few weeks ago. Yep. Um, they're not a good team. They're not a strong team. They're not. They're
1: not a well coached team either.
2: Oh. <laughs> and you know, if their big signature win this year was three loss LSU, I mean, awesome for you. But we've we've had a much tougher schedule and we've gone undefeated. So again, um, I keep pointing to next weekend and saying, All right, they're they're ranked top ten in the polls. They're number 10. If we go on the road and we, you know, pull the quote unquote upset according to Vegas <laughs> and we beat them. And then who's Florida State have again? Um, Sisters of the Poor next week. I believe so. Yeah, um, I can't even remember who it was, but
0: it's a directional Alabama school, we, I believe. Yeah, Is- it's it's like in
2: true like they're they're mimicking the SEC and scheduling a Patsy in November mm-hmm. just for like a, a nice little bye week. Um, so we're gonna go, we're gonna go play the number ten team that instead. So if we win next week <clears throat> and uh, nothing changes. And assuming nobody loses again, if Florida State's in the top four, just disband this committee because they are incompetent.
0: They're playing three and seven North Alabama. And I think you're absolutely right, coach. I think that's what they're setting this up to is they could, if Washington wins, uh, they punish Florida State for playing a directional Alabama school in November. I think that would be very appropriate. You know what? Let's keep it going. Let's also punish Georgia for doing the same thing because it's garbage. Another item of note, I guess you could say, is the coaching carousel has started. The big shoe to drop so far was Texas A&M getting rid of Jimbo Fisher. It also sounds like rumors are starting to circulate that Chip Kelly will be relieved of his duties as well.
1: Ooh,
0: Michigan State, people forget, is still open. There's lots of very interesting, high-paying, intriguing jobs that Washington coaches outside of Kalen DeBoer will be absolute considerations for, including, uh, it's funny I named those and then I throw San Diego State in there, but uh, you know they're also open. They could end up being a Pacific school down the line. Dan Lanning does not. I actually believe Dan Lanning on what he said about the Texas A&M job. Uh, I thought Kalen DeBoer sounded like somebody who's in contract negotiations. And didn't want to be uh, too committal to either way just to make sure that he got what he needed out of those negotiations. They're ongoing right now. Kalen DeBoer, I don't believe, is going anywhere. I've asked a couple of people that are very close to the program uh, and they agree with that. So I think we can all kind of, I don't know if you guys were nervous about that at all, but. I don't see Kalen DeBoer leaving. I am worried about a, a Ryan Grubb taking off. You know, what are your thoughts on the carousel? And what-
1: I am extremely nervous that Kalen DeBoer would take off. I wasn't nervous about Sarkeesian taking off and then <laughs> he's gone. Um, and that was hour, just hours after he's on Safi's show talking about how he's committed to the University of Washington. Uh, Kalen DeBoer has, I mean... There's no secret that he has a history in the Midwest. And the, the, I guess the thing is, is that he'd be taking more money to go to a gigantic pro- program in the same conference moving forward. Washington's already where he wants to talent-wise. He's got the players that he wants. He has the, the execution in games that he wants. I'm a little less nervous because of that. I think Michigan State's probably the only place that I could see him, you know, getting poached to. You know, I don't think he'd take Texas A&M. That's just been kind of a a coaching carousel. And, you know, Jimbo Fisher looked really good at Florida State when he was there. And he goes to Texas A&M and and doesn't look good. So um, I just think it's one of those things that um, I I, I think that would be a really good fit for Dan Lanning. Um, And he could go pull a Mario Cristobal and ride
2: off into the sunset.
0: So we got one who's nervous about Kalen DeBoer. We got one who's not. Where are you sitting right now?
2: I am 99% sure that Kalen DeBoer is going to d- at least double his salary at the University of Washington. You know? <laughs>
0: so I agree with that.
2: Um. So, <clears throat> excuse me, my biggest concern for this whole season as we've kind of gone along and, and the hype train has sort of built up coming off of last year, I thought that the only – frustration that they might experience was some of these schools are playing the nil game a little bit differently i spoke when this first thing first came about and Lake futures was formed i actually had conversations like phone conversations with uh the people that that run that place and, and we're just kind of like digging into like you know what is your role going to be in this and they're very adamant that they're not just going to write checks to high school kids like, okay, well, that's a good philosophy. And I, I mean, fundamentally speaking, it doesn't really sound like a terrible idea to not pay large sums of money to teenagers who have never stepped foot on a college football field. <clears throat> Having said that, you're you're getting into the situation now where the most precious commodity for West Coast teams is offensive and defensive line, especially the defensive line. There aren't a lot of bodies. There aren't a lot of big athletes like that. And the ones that are around are highly sought after from everybody across the country. Even even teams in the South come out and poach, you know, players if they're good, you know, on the West Coast. I don't know how detailed I want to get into this, but um, a certain uh, player, Elijah Rushing, was uh, committed to U of A. And his teammate was as well. His teammate is now, you know, Keona Wilhite, is now committed to Washington.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And when I asked if there's any chance that Elijah was going to follow him, um I was kind of met with a little bit of laughter and it's like dude he was already going to get $250,000 from U of A his dad was shopping for 400k naturally he signed with Oregon that was my biggest concern but having said that <coughs> uh, when, when Troy Dannon came in the first thing he said was hey we're going to look at this NIL we're going to get it right we're going to do everything we can to help our coaches win and if coach DeBoer feels confident in all of that, and he's doing the negotiations, going through his due diligence, and uh you know, his daughter's gonna be a husky next year. I heard she's already got an NIL deal lined up. It just makes sense that if he's cool with it, it means we're gonna be fine, and everybody else can talk about all oh, your recruiting rankings and whatnot. We're gonna live in the portal this year anyway. No doubt. We are probably gonna sign 10 to 12 people out of the portal, you know, the right fits and you know, because we're going to lose some guys. Obviously, you're going to lose your quarterback. And we've got an 18-year-old who's kind of waiting in the wings, probably not ready yet. We've got Dylan Morris. Um, I really do believe that he's going to be there for a very long time. And the only thing uh, left to decide is are, is the administration, is the athletic department going to support him in a manner where he can bring in top-level talent to go with his his system and his culture.
0: And I think the answer is yes. Everything that Troy Dannon has said, everything he did at his previous stop at Tulane says that he is going to set the football team up for uh, success. I think the thing that the most important thing you said there around the NIL is that this team is absolutely going to live in the portal, especially next year as his guys are still pretty young. There's a little bit of a talent gap uh, through departures, guys who are going to be going a little bit early to the NFL. There's going to be a ton of spots open and you're going to bring in guys who have played before your Jabars Mohammed to come in and compete for those and hopefully take those jobs, allowing some of the other guys uh, a chance to mature in the program, mature as human beings and, and physical athletes and then be really, really set to go when, when their time is, you know, correct.
1: Uh, Yeah, I I think you're absolutely right. I think, I think you're looking at two years from now, um, Kalen DeBoris guys are in and matured and stronger and faster and playing to a level that he's comfortable with them to where you don't see as much transfer portal window type dressing from. Kaylen DeBoer and Ryan Grubb, and and you just lean on the kids that have committed to your program, and 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 that's when you're going to see his players really start to develop and start taking over these starting positions.
0: Yeah, Austin Mack is a really good player. He has a lot of really f- awesome physical gifts. He throw he throws the ball effortlessly, and then when he gets in into the scrimmages that I was at, uh, there were times where he looked like he was 17 playing against adults. Mm-hmm. And that's, he's really talented. I don't know if it's going to be next year. I think that there's going to be enough guys in the portal, really good quarterbacks. The Tulane kid comes to mind that are going to be available for Washington and what quarterback wouldn't want to play in Kalen DeBoer system.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's a really good point. (laughs) You know um, you took, you took a Michael Penix who was already a good quarterback. Uh, He under Kalen DeBoer. Yeah. He had success at Indiana. He beat Ohio state in Indiana and, and he just had health concerns and Kalen DeBoer took a shot at him. And now he's a front runner for the Heisman. And, and that's a, uh, that's a gigantic billboard for de DeBoer saying, look at what I can do for your career. If you've, mm-hmm. if you've gone to a place that you don't think is the right fit for you, Come on, I'll take you. I'll take you to the promised land, and, and and he already has a proven track record of doing that in just two years. And, and and the more that we stay undefeated this year, the longer the better it looks for Michael Penix and Kalen DeBoer. So it's just a it's a win win. That was the best possible thing Kalen DeBoer could have done was bring Penix in, and it's only going to help him moving forward
0: for sure. And the last thing that I kind of want to mention outside of U uh, S oregon state is ryan grubb and coach i kind of want to go to you on this you've seen a lot of really really good coordinators go on to be head coaches um what would it do you first off do you think ryan grubb's gone and what kind of job do you think that he could get as a head going into next year
2: well i mean he's built his resume last year i mean bama tried to lure him away and Some people think, well, that's obviously an upgrade. You know, you're going to Bama and you're going to make more money. And then he came back for $2 million. So the question is, which job is going to be good enough for him to leave this situation? Unless you really just want to be a head coach, unless you want to branch out on your own, you're not going to take a pay cut to be a head coach somewhere.
0: So $2 million a year is is pretty steep for some of those smaller schools.
2: Right. Like a San Diego State or whatever. Like they're probably not going to pay that you know, if you go into the, you know, the Mountain West conference type deal or a group of five. So now you're looking at, okay, Michigan State's definitely, Michigan State's seen his offense up close two years in a row. They would probably be sure. very intrigued and they, they were paying the last guy $10 million. So anything short of that is going to be a steal. I think he'll have opportunities. And then the, but the one thing he got to remember is he has to passionately want to be a head coach and maybe he does. And I'm sure he does because, you know,
0: he's said it before.
2: Yeah. The cool thing is like Kalen DeBoer makes his coordinators available to do these press conferences and get that experience of like, hey, like this is the head coach talking after the game. But those those guys are like best friends. You know, Kalen DeBoer is probably not a head coach today without his buddy. Coach Grubb, it's going to have to be something that just really piques his interest. He's going to have to be 100% bought in to leave this situation. But I think this would be the ultimate time for him to dip. Two years at Washington has been phenomenal. They have a chance to have a Heisman Trophy quarterback lead the nation in passing two years in a row and has a chance to get on the big stage this year. So absolutely take your shot now. And who's to say that if in a few years you don't really love this, you can always you know, maybe come back.
1: Yeah. And, and the point that I kind of want to drive home to people listening and, and, university of Washington football fans is that this is a great problem to have If I, if, if I'm a fan of the university of Washington, I want Ryan Grubb to go take a head coaching job. You know why? Because all of that means that you're having success, you're winning games All of the best head football coaches, Nick Saban, Don James, the Matt Hatter, uh, LSU head football coach, all of these guys, they have assistant coaches go on and take head coaching jobs. And that's the nature of the beast. I would much rather have it that way and continue to find an offensive coordinator that will run an offense like Ryan Grubb does instead of having a defense a defensive coordinator like Sarkeesian did, and Nick Holt, that, and more defensive coordinators that keep getting fired, that's you're looking at two completely different paths, right? Chris Peterson had had assistant coaches, offensive coordinators, Jonathan Smith take head coaching jobs, and they still found success in offense after that. What I don't want is my coordinators getting fired.
0: I agree with that. <clears throat> it is a great thing to have, and you also have guys on the staff. If Ryan Grubb leaves that I would feel very comfortable with being, uh, the new offensive coordinators. And I think that list starts with, uh, Jamarcus Shepard.
2: Yeah, I agree. next in line for sure. Um, my, I always try to remember, I I always try to remember like of all the clinics I've ever been to, of all the, you know, college coaches i have ever been around. He is the most boisterous, the most loud, the most enthusiastic dude in the room, like at all times, like they joke around at the coaches clinic that, um, they don't give him coffee because he just naturally steps up to the mic and he's just waking everybody else up at eight o'clock in the morning. So it'll be interesting to see like, okay, now he's the OC. How does he tone this down and how does he figure out a way to kind of be locked in in a different way? Because right now, you know, working with receivers is it's just all about his energy and, you know, cleaning up the technique stuff. But then when you're in charge of an entire offense, man, that's just like, You know, I'm sure they're preparing for that. I'm sure they're kind of, I'm sure he's been taking notes this whole time. It'll be an interesting transition, but I mean, the dude's sharp. He he can, he can definitely do the job. And this is Kaelin the Boar's offense. I know that, I know that Grub calls all the plays, but when it comes right down to it, he's, it's, it's his hands that are in this, in this recipe, you know, it's his system. So he's got that resource at all times.
0: Yeah, and I think that Jamarcus Shepard, when he is an offensive coordinator, whether that's with Washington or elsewhere, um, he's going to create a system that fits his personality. He's not going to be Ryan Grubb. He's not going to be Jonathan Smith. He's going to figure out a way to channel that into being the best offensive coordinator that he can be. To Oregon State, Washington, number 5 in the CFP, heads to Corvallis against the number 11 Oregon State Beavers. Right now they're a two and a half point underdog. Uh, they started, I believe, at a uh, either two or one favorite. Um, that means that public money is shifted towards the Beavers, which is fine. Oregon State is seven and two, and man, looking at their record, it's very mid. I guess the youths say Oregon uh-huh. Oregon State's best wins are twenty 21- one to seven against the number then number 10, Utah with Nate Johnson under center. He's now been benched for help me with his name, the pig farmer. Um, and their other win, their other ranked win right now is UCLA 36, 24. And it was Dante Moore at quarterback. And Dante Moore also was benched. He's a true freshman, tons of talent. I think he's going to be a really, really good quarterback, but uh, he was kind of thrown to the lions a little bit this year and uh, really, really struggled to the point where they went with uh, Ethan Garbers and even Colin Schley. Their losses were at Washington state, which continues to look worse and worse as I got to, I got to think something happened within that locker room where that was towards the end of their run of being four and Oh, and they haven't won a game since. Uh, and then they lost at Arizona, which, I mean, Washington doesn't have that problem. Uh, but a really efficient game on both sides of the ball where the ball was controlled. It ended up being a twenty seven twenty-four loss. I think that they might be a little bit uh they're balanced. They play they they got a they got a quality quarterback, they don't have quality guys outside. They have a great run game, they have good offensive line. I feel like they might be a little bit paper tigers.
2: Yeah. um, I am so sick of hearing about all these defensive stats that are in their favor this week. The only teams that can actually have offense and score they've struggled with. Yep. There's absolutely no way that you can look at that Oregon state defense and think, man, those guys are dominant. I'm not scared one bit of their defense. I know they're at home. I know that all 2020, you know, I'm joking. Well, like 35, 38,000 or whatever, you know, it's a compacted stadium. It's renovated. I'm sure it's going to be, they're going to play that chainsaw noise eh, over and over and over again. (laughs) But who that, excuse my language, who the F have you guys played and actually beaten? I'm sorry. It's just, it's not a thing. You know, I'm more worried about, you know, up front being able to go toe to toe with their offensive line and be able to stop the run so that um, DJ Ongalele can't have easy play actions on third and short and take advantage of our secondary. I think that we can outscore them. I'm really looking forward to a a full game defensive performance where they play complementary football. I don't need a second-half shutout. I would love it. But I just want them to play from, from start to finish, fundamentally sound, and to tackle well and to do their job. I am not – the only thing I'm nervous about is just – you're going to get their their mightiest shot because they're still pissed at us their whole fan base is pissed at us for leaving and you know they're 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 feeling high and mighty after that you know that hearing that ruling today which will be appealed um i'm just i'm not afraid of Oregon state i'm really not
1: you want me to talk about the offense
0: uh just your overall take on the program in general
1: my overall take is I disagree with coach. Uh, we are not going to hear the chainsaw over and over again. Cause they play it when their defense is facing an offense that's on third down. <laughs> hey, good call. <laughs> so we're not going to have to hear that chainsaw very much. Um, me and Trevor will be at the game Let's with go, our, dude. with our pappies. Um, we're leaving Thursday and um I haven't been to Oregon State yet. I haven't been to Corvallis. I'm looking forward to it. I I do think that this is going to be the first time I walk away from an away game with Trevor watching a win. Um, I, I agree with coach and the fact that I don't think that their defense is going to be able to stop us. I expected, and the reason why is I expected last week's game with Utah to be a lot more physical than it was. And for us to take a lot more bumps and bruises and injuries than we did with the physicality that so-called physicality that Utah's defense plays with, um, our offense was rolling and will continue to roll all the way through Corvallis and back home.
2: These dudes lost 15 to 14 to Stanford. They got whooped 38 to 10 by USC. All right. Cal scored 40 on them. And uh it wasn't all just against the backups in the fourth quarter, you know what I mean? Like they're just they're sort of like they're good, but they're not great. And uh yeah. I, I hope that you guys, um, you know, text me or call me right after you uh, get out of the game, hooting and hollering because we beat them by 30 points. So,
1: so I, I do want to transition into the offense, Trevor. I hope that's okay because I, I, I do want to talk. I do think you mentioned balance earlier, coach, and I do think that their offense is balanced. Um, they're not a high explosive offense um everybody talked about DJ coming in from Clemson he was a big prospect coming out of high school he he then transfers to Oregon State um and he's having an okay year you know he's got he's got a little over 2000 yards passing he's got 2200 yards his completion percentage is 58 it's not great he averages 9 yards a throw he he's got 20 touchdowns on the season throwing which is a good number i I'm, I'm, I'm impressed by that with the lack of throwing numbers that he's got now i'm i'm going to give it away okay for all of the fans listening for all of the all all of our 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 loyalty listeners and everybody else i'm going to give jonathan smith's game plan away right now it's the most shocking thing as a, as a football coach i have it He's going to suck the air out of the ball. He's going to run Damian Martinez absolutely wild. He's going to make Washington's defense stop the run and stop the run all game long. Damian Martinez has 1,000 yards already this season. Dylan Johnson has 700. Oh, and then, by the way, they have Deshaun Fenwick, who also has 500 yards rushing this year. Oregon State can run the ball and they've watched Washington's defense struggle mightily against teams the last couple of weeks mostly in the first half but what he's what Jonathan Smith is going to do is make Washington absolutely gassed in in a half by making them stop the run over and over and over and over and they're going to get their chunk plays against Washington i guarantee that especially in the first half if I am a defensive coordinator for Washington, I'm bringing up Cam Fab, I'm bringing up Don Hampton, I'm 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 making sure that all of my my gaps are filled with with Bruner and um, Ulficio, and I'm bringing up extra pressure to stop this run and daring them to throw over the top of me and 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 beating Jabbar deep because I don't think that they have the ability to. And I don't think that they want to. I think that they want to wear this defense down to where by the end of the game, they can score on will and basically do the same thing. But with an early jump start that they did with Oregon last year, instead of waiting till the second half to start running the ball, you're going to see Oregon state run the ball from the start of the game. And you're going to see a big, big dose of it.
0: So coach, based on what Jake said, uh, and I agree with him, Washington's probably going to try to force Oregon state to beat them through the air. The, you talked about all the way back at way back at our, uh, one of our preview shows, you talked about the lack of talent on the outside. They got one guy who seems to be the guy that they go to most. Does this secondary have what it takes to do uh, what Jake's talking about?
2: Well, for me, it doesn't really, it's not so much the secondary because, you know, they're going to play a certain scheme. They're going to, you know, if I see third and four with with the corners back back 10 yards off again, (laughs) I'm going to, but it's all about the run game because DJ wants to hit his big plays off of play action. And you have to believe that it's a run before you can get fooled play action. I think the key is to just be aggressive as hell and say, go ahead, take your shots. They're going to hit a couple here and there. They're going to, you know, it's not like we're, you know, it's not like we're Georgia's defense from last year. But, um, you know, he's got a history of just kind of being erratic and streaky. And if you get a little bit of pressure on him, the ball's going to sail, you know. I always said that he was a better baseball prospect. I thought he should have been a baseball player coming out of high school because I just didn't like the way he threw the ball. I didn't like his accuracy. I think he's improved under Jonathan Smith this year. He looks a lot he looks a lot different than he did at Clemson, but I have no faith that he can just put a team on his back and say, all right, you're number five in the country. I'm gonna beat you by myself. It's just not gonna happen. It's gonna be, it's gonna be, can we get him into third and long and then just kind of. You know, weather the storm because I, I do. They they have a decent set of receivers. They're pretty quick, but honestly, it's about getting pressure on him and forcing him to make a mistake. Because my gosh, he will make a mistake if you if you put him under the pressure.
1: What you can't have is you can't when Oregon State is running the ball against you. You cannot have their offensive linemen get to the second and third level. You have to you have your your defensive line has to eat up the offensive line their blocks they have to take up double teams they have to take up even you know just just the fact of taking man on man helmet to helmet you have to you have to try to beat oregon state off the ball um, which then will free up your linebackers and your safeties to
2: come up and make tackles and they've got a good offensive line and they've got a left tackle who's really talented obviously Uh, I can't remember his name right now, but he's he's one of the top kids in the nation when they run power, when they when they when they bring tackle guard and they're bringing them, you know, bring them around. um, We really need our guys to be able to kind of shed and just kind of get to the play before those guys. Yeah, you're right. Before they get to the linebackers, before they get to the secondary, Um, something that we have not done this year, a lot that I think would be really effective against it because we did it a few years ago is uh, when Jimmy was still there, they were running it down our throats in the first half of the game. And so what did they do? They resorted to stunting and moving the line and and hitting them at different angles so they didn't know who to block. Um, You gotta change it up on them. We can't just stay in a base, like here we are, come block us sort of deal. You gotta find a way to disrupt their system so that they don't feel comfortable handing the ball off 17 times in a row like they did against Oregon last year, you know Is some
0: of that pre-snap <laughs> movement as well.
2: <clears throat> no, not really, because I don't think you want to give away like you're talking about like stemming, like you know yeah. shifting and then changing the strength. But just the entire line says, okay, we think they're going to run it to our left. We're going to, we're going to, we're all going to slant left, and the linebackers are going to flow off of that. We're just going to kind of yeah. funnel off of that. So I haven't seen us do that a lot but it would be a really cool thing to pull out this week and just kind of, and sometimes, you know, you catch them and then sometimes you're going the wrong way and it's a big play. And, but just kind of keep them guessing because I feel like what defense have been doing to us recently is like, okay, we're going to show you these guys and we're going to drop these guys out. You don't know who's coming they're trying to confuse our offense with They haven't really been successful. If you can cause them pause where they don't know where the they don't know where the defense is going to be lined up necessarily, or, or they you know when it's third down and they don't know where it's coming from, et cetera, et cetera. That's when you start to make mistakes. So I mean, yeah, we got to stop the run, but we also have to give them different looks so that they don't feel comfortable that like, hey, we found something on you, you know. Here we go, we're going to run this again.
0: What do you think an appropriate number would be, both of you, for Washington to keep Oregon State at when it comes to points? If Washington's going to win the game
2: under 30. Yeah. That's
1: exactly what I was just going to say. Yeah. I think under 30 is the exact right answer.
2: because I feel like we're going to score more than 30.
0: Yeah. Speaking of that on the other side of the ball, Oregon state is uh, a mid level higher tier defense. They're below the, what you'd call the elites, the Utah's, the UCLA's. Um, they give up more points than Oregon does, uh, but not my much. They're fourth right now, giving up 20 and a half points a game, as opposed to Washington that gives up 23 points a game. So similar to that, they give up 230 yards through the air, a hundred on the 102 on the ground, um, two teams that are above them that have better points per game. Average Washington put 37 on Oregon, 35 on Utah. That should make you feel really good. Their turnover ratio is really, really good. They're plus 10, where Washington is minus two. Washington and Oregon State have about the same. They're one off in interceptions. Washington with 11, Oregon State with 12. Same with pass defense. uh, Each one has knocked away 41 balls. uh, But they have 36 sacks compared to our 13. And of course, some of the sacks numbers, and I don't have their hurry numbers in front of me, pass rushes is, gets is more than uh, sack numbers. Of course it's getting home. It's getting pressures. It's getting uh, the quarterback off of his rhythm. So there's definitely uh, Oregon state's an okay defense. They're nowhere near where they were last year. Looking at the weather, this is going to be a much better weather game than it was last year uh, where Washington failed to get into the thirties, I believe. Um, and won on the field goal at the end of the game. Oregon state uh, does everything well, I guess you could say, but the problem with that is Washington's offense is just so explosive. They have so many weapons weapons. The thought is Jalen McMillan's going to continue to play more and more as he get comfortable with his new knee brace. I just think Washington has too many weapons. I don't see anybody in the country stopping Washington from scoring more than 30 points outside of Washington themselves. So again, I see this, as advantage Washington what do you guys think
1: yeah I I guess the only thing that scares me is um the away you know the road blues sometimes that has a trickle down effect on an offense um and and that's true in history with football right there's very prolific offenses that hit the road and stumble we did last year twice and um That to me is the thing that makes me nervous. Uh, The thing that we also do have going for us is the disrespect card, um, which can keep an offense motivated and keep them flying high and and running fast. Uh, Going down to Corvallis as underdogs uh, um, via Vegas is a huge step. And then also being ranked fifth is uh, also bulletin board material for DeBoer for motivation So I do like that going down there. But it always makes me nervous going on the road, especially against the top 10 team
2: team in the nation, that one that feels disrespected themselves. The best thing about not being ranked in the top four is that it's going straight on the bulletin board in the locker room, in the weight room. You know They've got a lot to play for. And it should be noted that although, like I said, Oregon State and their fans have every – motivation to be as obnoxious as possible the next two weeks against Washington Oregon. Like, Hey, screw you guys. Um, they should have had the same motivation against USC and they got drilled. You know what <laughs> I mean? And um, I just don't feel like they're the 10th best team in the country, but they are at home. They have that advantage. I hope that they can keep it within 20. I mean, I really don't, but <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, uh, without further ado, let's get to some score predictions. Coach, we'll start with you.
2: Well, I was feeling a little bit nervous about this game a couple weeks ago, and then I learned that you guys are going to be down there, and you did invite uh-huh. me to come. I tried to look at flights, and um, apparently it takes nine hours with a stop in Seattle <laughs> to get to Portland. <laughs> and so, obviously, I'm not going to make it. But the fact that you guys are going to be there, I just feel like the, you know, Jake's in full Duke mode these last few weeks. Let's go, Jake. Positive energy uh, is just going to be, you know, from all the Husky fans in attendance. Uh, Beavers aren't going to like this, but I've got 38. Sorry, no, no, no. I take that back. 42 to 27.
0: Oh, I would love that score. Jake, what do you have? When
1: we started the year, I predicted two Husky losses. Um, I think I predicted USC and Oregon State. Um, I've changed my tune a little bit. Um, Not as much as I'd like to. Uh, But with that being said, not so fast, my friends. (laughs) (laughs) Washington 32, Oregon State 29. I think we win. On a last-second field goal, unlike what Oregon can do, think Gross. I think pretty Gross pretty is going to come through in the clutch. Uh, it's not going to be a long one. It's only going to be like a twenty-eight yarder. Um, yeah, but okay. uh, I think I think we pull away with a win on this one.
0: That's kind, That's about where it was last year when he beat them in the atmospheric river. Oh, well, I guess it was Peyton Henry, but it was like a twenty-something yard field goal to win. Just and
2: we t- were nervous as hell because that weather was no joke it was
0: it was br- were you there coach? Oh heck no oh it was <laughs> terrible oh <laughs> yeah, that was a shout out to everybody that was um and it was it was dark and cold. yeah I was really nervous about this game. I didn't like that the number had flipped but that just tells me that uh that's a lot of public money going to Oregon State. Once I started doing my homework and looking at who Oregon State had beat uh, and who they would lost to, I just started feeling a little bit better that Washington has just beaten better teams consistently throughout the year. If USC and Oregon State were to play this year, USC would probably win the game. Oregon State couldn't beat U of A. I think Washington is too good offensively and they make adjustments and they make plays on the defensive side of the ball. I'm going to say it's 3729.
1: So we're all close. We, we're we all close with our prediction defensively, what we're giving up.
0: Yeah, I think yeah. so.
2: And honestly, you know, we keep talking about their offensive line and their running game versus our defense, but I really like our offensive line against their defensive front. Oh, me too. We're going to have to bring help up to stop the run. And this seems kind of counterintuitive because you have Michael Penix and, and all those receivers that they can just beat you. The, last year, I thought they had a really interesting secondary with really big long corners and oh, they would play yeah. really physically. And I, I feel like they're still playing that same style, but it's not the same personnel.
0: Yeah. Those guys are in the NFL.
2: Yeah. So I, I think their front can be exposed. And if they don't walk up extra people into the box, then DJ is going to hammer them for 150 yards easy.
0: Yeah, and, and even even if that happens, Mike's going to get over 300 in this game.
2: Again. Hey, Again. He's only got a few more chances to uh, impress the voters. I really think they want to carve these guys up a little bit. Now, if, sure, if he goes into Reese and, and drops four hundo with like four or five touchdowns, I, I don't think that would be a bad thing. Just, uh, <laughs> I,
1: guess, I guess a top 10 team uh, and a huge win to keep them undefeated. I'd say that's Heisman moment number three.
2: Uh, yeah, I would agree with you. On the that. road in a hostile environment.
1: Well, it's... I, I think, know,
2: but the chainsaw.
1: Think,
2: <laughs> we're
0: not going to hear it. I already told you. <laughs> well, I got to tell you guys, uh, down here in Southwest Washington, I get a lot of Oregon, Oregon State conversation. And uh, they're bringing the fire marshal in to figure out how many people they can go over the capacity and still be so there'll be at least 34,000 there. <laughs> that was mean.
2: Uh, okay. So basically, uh, basically
0: <laughs> your premier uh,
2: football program <laughs> in Texas high school football.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, looking around the program, we got a Friday night game, Jake. I guess we're going to have to fire up the old tube at the end of the night. Once we get all settled in uh, Colorado's heading, heading to the Palouse. And Washington State is a four and a half point favorite under over under of sixty-three and a half. I gotta tell you guys, I wouldn't touch the line because I don't really trust either of these teams, but I kind of like the over at 63 and a half. What do you guys got?
2: There's there's going uh. to be no defense in this game. But I will say this. It's pretty interesting because obviously the Cougs are at home and they're supposedly favored. But man, does everybody want to see Dion make it to a bowl game? They got to win their next two games. Yeah,
0: and one of those games against Utah. Yeah. <laughs>
2: so I feel like if something wonky happens, they're gonna side with Coach Prime because they want to up <laughs> the, the TV ratings as long as possible. And yes, I do believe that there are conspiracy theories that are actually provable in Pac-10 and Pac-12 officiating. So so so, did you predict who was going to win? He's going to pick oh, Colorado. Buffs all the way. Um, okay. I think it'll be relatively close, but I'm thinking like a 35-32 game. Yeah. So the thing about this game is that it's the nobody care
1: cares bowl, right? Uh, need the loser of this game will be eliminated from bowl contention. The winner of this game will be eliminated <laughs> next week from bowl. Contention. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. Oh, it really doesn't matter who wins this game. I'm going to pick Washington state out of pity to win 21 to
2: 18.
0: Oh, woof! I think Colorado's going to win. I don't think they cover. I uh,
2: do, do you believe there's going to be any defense in this game, Jake. I don't think
1: there's going to be any defense in this game. I think their offenses suck that bad. Oh, man.
0: Captain check down at the Palouse. Seen, I'll tell you yeah, that. Have you seen Shader Sanders lately?
1: He is not being put in good situations by his own father. It's, it's, I it almost feels like he's being set up to fail
2: and maybe to make him tougher. I don't no, think the tank his draft stock.
0: So he comes back next year. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> uh, heading to Saturday, 1130 AM on the PAC 12 network. This is crazy. This game's on the PAC 12 network. Yeah. Number twenty-two Utah heads to number seventeen Arizona, and Arizona is a one-point favorite, and I'm taking the Wildcats bear down on this one.
1: Yeah, I'll double down on that. I think I think Arizona is going to beat Utah. I think Utah's defeated. I think their season's over. I think they're waiting for
2: Cam Rising. Bear down, boys. So here's the thing: Arizona is incredibly hot. They're playing at home. Utah's coming off a tough loss at Washington, but I think some way, somehow Kyle Whittingham's team pulls out a very close win, maybe something to the effect of 27, 24. I think, I think the better
1: defense is going to win this game. And I think Arizona has the better defense.
0: Man, who I think, know if was is going to be this good.
2: I think that, uh, poor, uh, Oh gosh, what's his name? from last week, uh, the Oregon defensive end, Ellis. Sorry, oh, Jonah man. Ellis. Jonah Ellis. He had, he had the worst game maybe of his career last week going against Troy and, and Roger, mostly Roger. So I feel like he's going to break out and make a couple plays, maybe get to Fafita, uh, maybe in a big moment, and it's just they're going to sew it up with like a sack fumble or something like that.
0: Man, I'm really frustrated that this is on the Pac-12 network. Uh, this is a fantastic game against two ranked teams and Fox chose to take Oregon headed to the desert to play Arizona <laughs> state. That's wild. I know I skipped a game, but I got to say that is, that's insane. I can't believe they did that. The only reason I can see that they do that is their Fox and they want Oregon's brand on their uh, screen because they're going to be a member of the big 10 next year. So maybe that's why they went at that, but Anyhow, Oregon heads there. They're 23-and-a-half-point favorites. Weird things happen in in the desert. Arizona State has bit Oregon before. 23-and-a-half is a lot. Arizona State just beat UCLA. Oregon's going to win, but I think Arizona State's going to cover.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. I think it's a 10-point win for Oregon.
0: Oh, like one better than what they did against uh, USC?
2: That's what I'm guessing. (laughs) Coach? um asu has been so scrappy and they've they've had to do it shorthanded this year and you know they're not a great team but you know coach dillingham is kind of proving some people wrong and, and they've kind of found a way you know they're like you know six healthy offensive linemen They they went to the they went to the swinging gate last week yeah they did crucial it wasn't like one trick play it was like hey dude we're just gonna line up and you know, how how do we deal with this disgusting UCLA defensive front? Well, we're going to spread them all over the field. They don't know what to do. <laughs> so, do they have another one of those in them where they can kind of, you know, make it close? I don't know. It's sort of a Jekyll and Hyde deal, but maybe they used all their bullets last week. I think Oregon's going to win by 20. Oh, so not cover. Well, maybe not cover. Maybe they get something late, but it's, it's just never going to be in doubt does does dillingham want to come out and
1: trounce oregon who he was with last year or does he still hold ties to oregon for giving him the head coaching
2: job it did not end especially like sweet yeah like it wasn't a terrible deal but he was ready to go you know there's a lot of talk and i just you know i know people down here and i know some people that that work over there now or at least I did, and it was sort of like, yeah, get me out of here. I just need to be a head coach. And then when this when this popped up, obviously in his backyard because he's from down here, um, I will say this. If anybody knows that program, it's him. So, you know, he knows most of the guys on that staff. He kind of knows what they run and what they do. He knows Bo very well. So, like I said, I, I think they can make it respectable, but they just don't have the horses right now.
1: now now's the time to – show all the ponies right do oh yeah best plays and and go out and try to win your Super Bowl
0: let's get yep yeah, let, let's get weird they're gonna get weird with it um on ABC at 12 30 it's Ucla USC uh I don't know how many times this has been unranked versus unranked but here we sit Ucla at six and four USc at four seven and four. USC is a six and a half point favorite. The under over under at 65 uh, 65 and a half. Man, this is a great defense and a terrible offense versus a great offense and a terrible defense. Uh, I think USC is going to cover that six and a half. They'll probably win by 10 to 14 points, uh, especially if Marshawn Lloyd is playing.
1: Yeah, you need to stop making good points because I'm just going to keep agreeing with you. <laughs> I think USC's offense is a little bit too much for UCLA's and they end up running away with it a little bit late. um, End up winning by 10.
0: Is Chip Kelly coaching in this game? Yes. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, if UCLA
2: had any semblance of a a competent offense, this would be a really good game. Yeah. Um, USC's got one of the worst defenses in the league, obviously, and UCLA UCLA will probably be able to to get some points here and there the one thing that they have that you know they probably have the best defensive front that Caleb's seen all year but that dude has a way of making people look silly and if he runs around a lot and they just kind of chase him down for you know half the game and start to wear down and get tired then they can slip the run in there with Marshawn Lloyd and you know and then you got Austin Jones, who's <laughs> – that's that's your backup running back, Austin Jones. That's, right. that's pretty impressive. So I think USC is going to win. I think it's going to be 32 to maybe like 15.
0: Oh, that's a weird score.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> I don't think
2: they're going to score a touchdown. Sorry, I don't think they're going to score more than two touchdowns, I should say. But I'm going to put it at 15.
0: Love it. Uh, big game, three thirty on Pac-12 Network. Cal heads to Stanford, four and six versus three and seven. Cal is still alive in the hopes of getting to a bowl game. Cal's a six and a half point favorite. Stanford plays well, and then they get blown out, and they can play well, and they get blown out. So, if my calculation is correct, they're going to play well this week. <laughs> Um, so I guess I'm taking the tree. Where's the game again? It's in the library. You're really I, pissing me off. I, I,
1: I'm gonna, <laughs> sorry, I'm gonna I'm just before you go, I'm just gonna agree with Trevor. I was picking Stanford from the start of this conversation and they're gonna end Cal season.
2: Guys,
1: Cal forty two, Stanford thirteen. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I actually I uh <sighs> coach That's- but, one of us is right. Stanford's either winning or Cal's busting that ass. Jaden Ault's going to run for 300
0: yards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. But you know what? This is the week they got blown out last week. This is their week to play all right. If Ashton Daniels plays, it'll be a close game. If Ashton Daniels still has a broken hand or whatever he hurt it in the Oregon State game, uh, then coach is right, if not a big
1: is Io Manor, is he
0: back in healthy? I believe so. Yeah, he's
1: he's a good little receiver. I like him.
0: Oh well, um, that'll do it for us. If you're at the Oregon State game, come say hi. We're gonna be there. It's gonna be awesome. It's a fantastic uh place to tailgate. It's an awesome town. Uh we'll be at Tree Beards Tap House on Friday evening. That's gonna be a blast. Don't be hasty. That'll do it for us. So for Trevor Mueller. Jake Grant.
1: If if you're watching TV, you might see us too because we're 50 yard line row three. So let's go, dude. We'll be out for a big, ugly guy wearing purple and me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Don't talk about Kevin like that. Ouch. <laughs> go dogs. Go dogs. Go dogs. Yeah.